Hello, this is Dr. Jeff Craig, superintendent of West Aurora Schools, and we are in our third uh, podcast episode, and we are extremely pleased to be able to welcome to today's podcast conversation Lieutenant Colonel Eric Pettyjohn, who is our uh, senior aerospace science instructor for the West Aurora Air Force J. Rotsey. Lieutenant Colonel, welcome, and thank you for being here today. Uh, thank you, Dr. Craig. Thank you for the opportunity to come down and talk with you today. Well, this is, uh, you know, you, I think you have a unique story and, and uh, certainly uh, a lot to brag about, and we're going to get to all that. So I first want to, you know, acknowledge that, you know, you, had, you have choices um, in, in going because people in retirement, those are the only folks that we can, we can bring in as our, um, our JROTC instructors. And so we were fortunate enough to be able to attract you here to West Aurora School mm -hmm. District. And you started this back in 2014. It's just on the advent of, of my arrival and of our new administration's arrival. Uh, you took over a, uh, well, you, you grew a program from scratch. So you started that back in 2014 with zero students, and we grew that each subsequent year. Talk about that process, if you would, just from your transitioning here and then how we built that program. Certainly. Uh, back in 2014, actually I retired in 2011 uh, and started teaching Air Force Junior ROTC down at Lincoln Way East High School uh, in Frankfurt, Illinois. And then uh, the opportunity came along after I'd been there about three years, uh, the Air Force had decided to open up a unit here at West Aurora High School. And I jumped at the chance. I was looking forward to, to coming back to this area uh, to be near to family and also a, a unique opportunity with a, a large school and a really diverse population. I was looking real, really looking forward to that. So I remember when I came in here and talked to Dr. Hiscock, was the principal. Sure. And I talked to him, and uh, the unit, we kind of got the word in about a January, February time frame, the unit was opening up. And so we went through the hiring process, and I was brought aboard in June. And I can remember distinctly sitting in a classroom at West Aurora High School. It's dead quiet because it's the summer and everybody's gone, and it's just me and a laptop. And that was the whole junior ROTC program. And just sitting there going, wow, this is going to be very interesting to see how this goes. You know, it's, and uh, it was just a very kind of a humbling beginning. You're like, well, I really don't know how this is going to go. Uh, one of the challenges we faced is that all the freshmen who could have come into the class or into ROTC had already selected their other classes. And so... Because we usually uh, do that the, the winter prior to uh, those classes. Correct. And, and, uh, and so it was a very interesting time to kind of... We didn't have uniforms, we didn't have equipment, office, anything like that. I just had a borrowed laptop and myself and Dr. Hiscock and Deb Quinn. And we're like, okay, let's make this happen. And so over the course of the last almost four years now, uh, the first year we had uh, 72 cadets in the program. Um, and so we had to be very aggressive about reaching out and kind of bringing people in. And the next year we had around 120. Then we, last year we were around 160, 170. Right now we're right at that point as well. Um, we were actually capped by the Air Force at 180 cadets uh, when we have two instructors, which is what we have now. And so we, we're bumping against that cap, uh, and we're comfortably sitting there and, and growing the unit. So I'm really happy how far it's come these last four years. Yeah, and I, and I just, you know, certainly compliments to, to you and, and to your team. Um, I, I know that uh, we're, we're maxed out right now uh, just because of the number of instructors per, uh, per students. And, um, you know, it was, it was an interesting process to start up because I – you know, you, you've heard of uh, J. Razzi programs, and and 
you know, when I was, it was just prior to my getting hired, that there had been conversations and very preliminary um, communications between the command down in Alabama, and that gentleman was retiring, so it was like, make this decision, then he was going to be gone forever. And so um, I was five and a half hours away, and I remember all these phone calls in a flurry, and then all of a sudden it was decided to do this. We found you down in Lincoln Way, and we're able to bring you here to start this unit up. And then it was like, okay, how do we get kids in this program? And then we started to grow that. And I think each subsequent year, uh, we planted our feet a little more firmly on the ground. And, you know, we're going to ask for more accolades. But, you know, the last year or so has just been a whirlwind in, in terms of accomplishments by the unit. Can you talk about some of those? And, and I... And I want to tell the folks, too, is we want to talk about the program. Then I want to talk about your educational process and some of your military experiences. And then we're going to double back with our, our unit experience. But just give a, a highlight film, if you would, of, of last year or so. So um, for the last year, uh, it, the program has been sort of rapidly growing. And one of the teaching tools we have in uh, Air Force Junior RTC, one of the, the big tools we have was we started a drill team. And a drill team is a competitive team. You... Uh, you execute drill movements according to the regulations, and you, they have drill competitions, and you'll go to the competitions where you compete against other high schools. Uh, there are judges that will grade the movements, how precise they are, uh, how in accordance with regulations they are. Uh, so there's scores, there's placements, there's trophies, and it, it's really a, a competitive thing. And so it's very competitive activity. And actually, if you look across all the military branches, you'll find that uh, because the Navy, Marines, and Army all have junior ROTC as well. Uh, the junior ROTC, which is at the high school level, they're actually driving the quality of drill overall up. Uh, it's at points now where the junior ROTC, the drill there is better than that on active duty. And so it's really getting the attention a, of the guys. That's a big active. statement. It, it really is, and, and, and I'll throw it down as a challenge as well. <laughs> uh, but it really drives that. It, it pushes the active duty guys to really up their game as well, which I'm happy to see. Uh, and so along with the kind of the unit growing is my intention when I started the unit was I'm going to have a, uh, a drill team. I want a drill team that competes nationally. So I want to set the high standard. Um, I want to demand excellence from the kids and let's, let's see how, how far and how high they rise. So, and so check and check. It, it, yeah. And so I, I threw down the gauntlet the first year, like I want a nationally competitive drill team and the kids have just responded tremendously. Um, to the, to the challenge. And so over the years, we started out from the very beginning, like I kind of mentioned before, not having any, really any uniforms. We were in our gray Air Force shirts. And here we are four years later. Um, last year was our first trip down to actually Joint Service Nationals where we competed there. Uh, and also at Air Force Nationals, we competed there as well last year. Um, and we were fortunate last year at Air Force Nationals, uh, the teams, uh, we really have kind of, we have one big drill team, we consider them one team, but they compete in two different categories, an armed category and an unarmed category. And so, and we were pulling trophies in the top five and in pretty much every single event, we actually have had a, a, our color guard, our unarmed color guard, uh, just did outstanding. Last year they were first in Air Force Junior ROTC out of all the units, there's around 850 Air Force wow. Junior ROTC units. that's and just so, impressive. Number one color guard, you know, the girls had been, they'd been training uh, just Three years, basically, uh, which most teams are composed of fourth-year cadets, which are seniors, 
and so they got first and they received the first place trophy in Air Force at the Air Force level and then also uh, at the national level. Uh, and it was absolutely a tremendous accomplishment for them and for the whole team. And, and that wasn't the only section of the team that's doing well. We had a lot of other events we competed in um, overall in the Air Force at the Air Force level last year. We were uh, top five. Uh, and then this year we just got home from uh, Air Force regionals two weeks ago, right before break. Uh, and again, we were one team was fifth in the Air Force, one sixth in the Air Force. And we're headed down four weeks to go back to nationals. And so we're making some adjustments and we'll go back down and compete there. So extremely proud of how of So you come over with a national trophy, third year in the with a unit. That's got to be fairly unprecedented. I can't imagine too many folks that have moved that far that fast. Uh, and I frankly didn't think we'd move far that far that fast. I was, I was really surprised with how um, the kids really dug in and accepted the challenge. Sure. Um, I, I think that speaks a little bit. It, it speaks definitely to the quality of the, of the the students at the school, and and also I think the school itself was was really ready for something like junior ROTC. Uh, and so when, I, when we got there and set the unit up, the, the biggest uh, challenge we face usually is getting the word out on what the program is and what the program has to offer. But once people see that, and then once they get to know a cadet in a unit, and it kind of, it'll grow itself um, because it offers so many opportunities. And that's really what happened with the drill team. People got into the drill team and were like, wow, this is, uh, this is pretty cool. And they like the competition and they like the... Uh, the, the discipline that comes with the attention to detail. Uh, and they really, we had many cadets on the team just grab that challenge and run with it. I think that's one of the great things about West High is we have just a plethora of offerings that our kids can find a, a niche, a way to be successful in a variety of ways. It doesn't, you know, you don't have to be this star athlete or this brilliant uh, academic academician, but you can fit into some opportunity in our school. And I think Jay Rotsey not only is one of those, you don't think of it as a club or an activity, but it certainly is a way to express your leadership, uh, to be able to find success in a different role that is not necessarily mainstream that every kid thinks about. And it's very interesting, too, because... Uh ROTC, I always say it's a very unique program. It's something like if you haven't been exposed to it, you're really not quite sure what it is. But it's not really a sport. It's not really a club. It's sort of in between. Um, and one of the, the biggest things it offers is it offers students a chance to practice their leadership and develop their leadership skills. You bet. Uh, and so you don't have to be the fastest, the biggest, the strongest, or anything like that. Um, really, effort and attitude will get you about 90% of the way in Air Force Junior ROTC. And so you put in the effort, you have a great, good attitude about it. We'll, we'll give you the training, we'll give you uh, all the support you need, but if you come in with those two things, we, you, can, you can do very well in the program. And, and it really is kind of a unique thing where you get to lead your peers. And uh, the ultimate result and kind of what the, the headquarters of the Air Force aims for is a unit that kind of runs itself. It's run by the cadets. So you have a cadet corps, they have ranks, they have positions. They determine the activities that the cadet, the corps engages in. They determine how they go about accomplishing them. They organize them. They set them up. Uh, the instructors are there. Ideally, they're there to, to kind of guide and mentor. Uh, and so you, you feel like you've really arrived when you can get to a unit where the cadets have real ownership of the program. And you see them taking the lead in setting up those activities. And, and we can slowly see that here in the unit. Because uh, sometimes the cadets will look at you like, "Am I allowed to do this?" I'm like, "Well, yes, you are." So great life uh, skills, and so it, it is absolutely tremendous. And so, uh, and and also a lot of the cadets will like it because it's 
it's different than any other class I go to during the day. Uh, very active, very different uh, than a lot of the other classes that go in. And so they kind of enjoy that, that kind of that, that break in the routine as well. Absolutely. So we'll talk a little bit about the students. We talked a little bit about the program. So I'm going to put a little pressure and a little spotlight on you. I want to talk about some of your experiences um, as the leader of this unit, uh, at least the, the, the lead guide of this unit, for lack of better terms. Um, but certainly your leadership helped bring this to life and, and has helped it grow each year and, and provide guidance for our students. So I want to talk a little bit about your education um, that helped allow you to have some choices. Talk about your transition into military service, some of those assignments, um, and some of those experiences that have, have helped build your leadership uh, capacity so that you could help other students achieve some of theirs. So if you want to talk a little bit about your educational background and what influenced you choosing that path. Sure. Uh, I think, well, to begin with, uh, my undergraduate degree is I have a Bachelor of Science in Aeronautical and Astronautical Engineering uh, from the University of Illinois down in Champaign-Urbana. Uh, so that was kind of my first degree. And uh, I'll kind of go through this in a minute, but you'll see that I, I tend to collect degrees. It's a very, I don't know, I like to learn. <laughs> I like the process of learning. So. A little background is uh, my grandfather was uh, an aviator in World War II. Uh, he flew P-38s in the Pacific. And so that kind of interest or love of aviation carried over to my father. And he joined uh, the Air Force uh, right out of college in the Vietnam era. And he was a pilot as well, flew in the Vietnam War and, and spent uh, over 20 years in the service. Uh, and so I grew up as a military brat, an Air Force brat, and I consider myself really fortunate because all I've ever wanted to do was fly airplanes. So I knew from the age of about five that that's what I wanted to wow. do. So there wasn't any doubt in my mind wanted to do what Achieving I wanted to do. Achieving a lifelong dream. It, it really was. And so, and, and I watch a lot of the, especially the cadets today, they're like, I don't know what I do. I don't know what I want to do. And I can give my best advice, but I feel very fortunate not having to have gone through that process of trying to really determine that. So I knew from the very beginning I wanted to fly. And, uh, so coming out, of, I knew I needed good grades and I needed to do well in extracurricular activities and all that through high school. And so I, I really pushed myself through high school, um, got into the University of Illinois, uh, got an aeronautical engineering degree out of there, came out, went into flight training. Um, if, you, if we stick with kind of the educational string, sure. my, my first assignment um, as a lieutenant was out in actually uh, LA Air Force Base, Los Angeles Air Force Base. And so... Uh, my first master's degree was a master's of science in systems management from the University of Southern California. Uh, the, that's a kind of a fancy way of saying it's a, they teach you how to manage large technical programs. So how to manage cost, schedule, performance, risk, uh, which came in, comes into a factor or comes into play later in my career. So that was my first master's degree. Uh, my second one was through the Air Force. The Air Force uh, will send some of its senior leadership to a Air University, which is an Air Force school uh, down in Alabama, Maxwell Air Force Base. So you spend a year down there, and they, they basically teach you kind of the operational art of running an air campaign and leading large organizations. So it's a master's of science in military operational art and science is what it's called. It's, a, it's kind of a long word, so you got to kind of explain what it How is. How to deal with people, right? It, it really is. It's people and things and, like, big numbers. <laughs> so... Um, so that was really the second one, my second master's degree. My third, well, I, I, I got just a couple of years ago when I retired from the Air Force, I had the GI Bill. And uh, as part of kind of my family being involved with the military quite a while, 
is I, or pretty much all my life, is I've had a lifelong interest in military history. And so I actually went to uh, American Public University System, or American AMU it's called, uh, and got a, a master's degree in military history. Oh. Um, so that was the third one, uh, but wait, there's more. <laughs> uh, my last one, I actually ended up finishing up um, last uh, in December, uh, I got an MBA program from Aurora University. So kind of round things out a little bit, uh, go back and touch on some of my business interests. And so that actually was my last degree. I don't know if it, though, that's the last one I have so far. I don't know if it's my last one. But people kind of look at me funny when they're like, is that all you do is go to school? I'm like, well, I just love it. It's like learning, and I'm constantly learning, constantly find new things that I'm interested in. So I kind of like to kick over all the rocks and read all the books I can. Take it all the opportunity, right? Absolutely. That's absolutely. awesome. And I, and I think that's a great message to some of our students out there and even some of our parents out there that it's um, – you know, one degree or one opportunity may not be enough, but it's never too late. You know, you never stop learning. And, and I'm not suggesting that uh, that you're old, but certainly um, the non-traditional school attending years, um, mm -hmm. that's a strange way of saying that, you know, <laughs> you think about going to the traditional way of, of your, your high school, your post-secondary, and then maybe your, your advanced degrees. And, um, you know, you love learning and love being full and well-rounded, so why not? And you had the opportunity, so why not take advantage of it? And, and absolutely, I, I enjoy it. And, and that's one of the things I, I try to preach to my cadets, too, is uh, maintain, be curious, like an intellectual curiosity. You know, keep learning a growth mindset. If you see something, you're like, hey, what is that? Well, go find out. Do a little investigation. I mean, everything's available to you on the Internet. You've got to be careful with your sources, but everything's available there for you. Go Pick it up and learn it. Use the tool. Sure. So let me let me dial a little bit more on your your Air Force experience. Sure. Um, so and I did some research on you. I, I uh, in the Air Force you had a rating of uh, United States Air Force Command Pilot. You had a top secret security clearance, and you flew a variety of aircraft. And I'll read off a few of them: the T forty ones, the T thirty seven, the T thirty eights, and of course the the real exotic, the sexy one, the F sixteen that everyone is is familiar with. So when I look at your education, you, know, you, you talked about your multiple master's degrees. It would look like you were headed for a, a career in NASA rather than in fighter jets. And maybe they're not mutually exclusive, but so you got the, the aeronautic engineering degree and then you, you from the University of Illinois and then the aerospace. So help me understand your choices and what led you in that decision making. So uh, in the Air Force, they kind of say that there's no standard career. And I would say uh, I'm, a, I'm a prime example of how there is no standard career. Uh, coming out of college uh, with my aeronautical engineering degree, uh, there were actually some budget. I had applied to pilot training, but there were some budget cuts. And so on the defense side, and so they said, you have to go into something else. Uh, and so I ended up being a project engineer out at Los Angeles Air Force Base. Ah. And so I ended up out there, which gave me an opportunity to get some experience in that field. I actually got to work some uh, shuttle launches. I, did a, I worked on a program called the Inertial Upper Stage, which is a, a booster we would put on a Titan rocket or in the back of a, the shuttle to launch satellites into high Earth orbit. Uh, and so That's pretty cool. It, it, it was really cool. So you get, get to go down to, um, down to watch the launches and kind of man the launches. So you're on the headsets for the countdown, and you're monitoring all the systems on the on the, on the uh, vehicle, and so it's a really cool experience. And as a lieutenant, it's you know you're just like, wait a minute, I'm I just graduated college, and and here I am sitting, you know, I'm three miles from the launch of the yeah. shuttle, and so it's it's a it was a tremendous experience. Um, 
in that time, the the budget challenges kind of corrected themselves, and and I got uh, I, I got my slot back for pilot training, and so then I spent the next ten years flying. So like the T forty one, T thirty seven, T thirty eight, you mentioned those are all training aircraft, kind of the standard training flow that every pilot in the Air Force goes through. Uh, the T-41 is like a screening program just to make sure you kind of like it. Uh, the T-37 is your first serious jet plane and the T-30 is sort of advanced jet training. Uh, so I went through all the, the training aircraft and kind of the interesting thing in there too is, uh, uh, is in the T-37, that was my initial plane that I flew for jet training, but also I ended up later coming back after I flew F-16s coming back to be a T-37 instructor pilot. And so when we talk about kind of teaching junior ROTC, that's where uh, I first kind of developed my passion for teaching. Uh, because you take, basically you take somebody almost literally off the street with no flying experience, and you take them all, th all the way through formation training, which is a long way to go in, a pilot, in pilot terms. And so that's where I kind of fell in love with teaching, where I would just find a different ways to teach systems, to teach aircraft uh, maneuvers to teach how do you remember how do you remember all these numbers you know why are we doing this to understand the aeronautics behind it which is really cool because that's where my aeronautical engineering degree came in so I could kind of better explain hey how, how you know how do you stall an airplane why does it spin uh, so that's really uh, where my I developed that first passion of being an instructor or a teacher and then that kind of got filed away a little bit for the rest of my career and kind of bloomed later when I uh, when I ended up re, uh, retiring and coming to work, ju sure. work junior RTC. So, you know, this is this is kind of leading up to, uh, I got a chance to read some of the accolades and, and accomplishments that you received. And, and um, so I'm hoping you'll kind of, uh, you know, share the story with us. I see you won a pretty significant award with the Semper Viper Award uh, for the best F-16 aviation feat worldwide in 1998. I know you had top secret clearance, but is there, can you talk a little bit about why you won it in the, the, the context of, of that event? Uh, certainly. Uh, so You won't have to kill me afterwards or anything, I hope. But. <laughs> uh, well, that's okay. You'll never see it coming. <laughs> <laughs> so the, uh, it, it was, a, it was the, I ended up winning the Semper Viper Award back in, because of a, a single sortie I did back in November of 1997. Uh, so on the 10th of November 1997, I was flying uh, what's in an operation called Operation Northern Watch, which is we would take out, take off, our squadron would take off out of uh, Insulik Air Base in Turkey. Uh, we would go fly over the northern third of Iraq, and that was at a time when Saddam Hussein was still in power. And so what we would do is flying over the northern third of Iraq, we would basically uh, keep him from dropping chemical weapons on the Kurds, and also harassing anybody else up in that kind of northern third of the country. And it was also a show of force sure. to let him know that, that the U.S. was still there. So we had Northern Watch and Southern Watch, and I flew some sorties later in Southern Watch, but this was up in the northern section. And so uh, what happened that day is I took off in a four-ship of F-16s. Uh, we went and got gas from the tanker, and then we went into northern Iraq. Uh, the F-16, obviously, fighter aircraft, but it, it's a single-engine aircraft. And so... Um, any problems with the engine are fairly significant you because bet. you've only got one engine. You've got an ejection sheet and a parachute, but you've just got the one engine. And so while I was about about 25 miles deep in Iraq, I got a, an oil pressure light, uh, which means the oil pressure is approaching zero. Uh, and that's obviously, as I stated before, a real concern when you're talking single-engine aircraft. And so uh, what I ended up doing is is kind of pulling my nose north towards Turkey, uh, and if, knowing that if I could get across the Turkish border and get uh, out of Iraq, 
that uh, that I could, if I had to eject from the airplane, I'd be some. I mean, I would land sort of with a friendly reception when I landed. Um, so the context is what what the long the long story short is. I ended up dead sticking the airplane, which means the engine seized about 16 miles out from a Turkish airbase, and I ended up gliding the rest of the rest of the way in uh, and successfully landing the airplane. Wow. And so um, my takeoffs equal my landings. And that's so you a very glided for thing. 16 miles. Correct. It was 16 miles. Um, I limped from about 120 miles out to about 16 miles out. And uh, the engineers like to refer to me as an anomalous data point because the engine itself is supposed to only last a few minutes. Uh, but this one lasted 18 minutes and I ended up gliding for the last four minutes or 16 miles uh, until I hit the runway uh, and landed there. And so... Uh, I spent uh, a couple of days there while the maintenance guys came out and changed the engine out. But that was a, a significant event just because of everything going on. At the time, Saddam Hussein, uh, he, he ruled with an iron fist, and he yeah. had actually a bounty out for airplane pilots. So there was a $25,000 bounty out. Uh, if I had to, if the engine had failed and I had to eject into northern Iraq, um, it would have been, I would have been on the ground. Uh, the search and rescue copters were at least five hours away. So it would have been pretty, pretty scary thing. Um, and so the other thing, too, significant on a personal note is, you know, my son was three weeks old mm. and my daughter was a year and a half old. And so kind of all those kind of played into it Lots to make come it back a personal to. story, uh, made it a significant event. And on a professional level, um, there was a lot of stuff that went right with the airplane and wrong with the airplane uh, that uh, it really was it, it was it was a very uh, tra uh, traumatic event is not really the word for it. It was one of those things where you did it while, while the event was going on, the training kicks in, uh, the whole team gets rolling, uh, the, the uh, other fighters in the area read the checklist for you, the tankers get out of the way, all that other stuff flows. It's not till afterwards when you look back and you go, wow, what just happened there? And you look back and, and I'm thinking, wow, you know, that could have easily gone very, very wrong uh, in a whole lot of ways, and it didn't. So. so not only were you able to land safely from a personal standpoint, but... You know, the United States Air Force and the United States government saved millions and millions and millions of dollars by not having a, a, a fighter jet uh, land in enemy territory where they could potentially confiscate our, our you know, security and, and our, uh, our technology that we have aboard those, sure. those planes. And absolutely. And then the other kind of, on, on a professional side, really one of the things I'm most proud of is um, what... Uh, GE General Electric made the the engine and so they sent some engineers out and they actually took a section of the motor back and did some analysis and they what they figured is they were losing two to three F-16s a year to the same problem but they had never been able to get an engine back intact in order to fix the problem and so one of the things that I kind of I like to think is that somewhere out there there was somebody who may have run into that problem before who may run into it in the future but I may have helped save their aircraft as well, so Absolutely. they don't have to go through the same thing that I went through. Absolutely. So, well, that that's what an incredible. That's a, that's just a neat story, and I appreciate you sharing that certainly, with us. Certainly. You know, you talked a little bit earlier about being a third generation fighter pilot. Uh, it's obviously just by by hearing your voice and, and watching you talk about very proud uh, to Absolutely. be to be in that context. And you talked about being a you know a military brat and moved from base to base. Um, not only as a, as a child, but also as an as a Air Force professional. How do those experiences uh, influence who you are and then how you go about your personal and professional life? 
Um, I would say it's kind of interesting because as an Air Force brat, um, I moved around quite a bit. Uh, and so, and that just was sort of a natural continuation when I went into the Air Force and myself and moved around. And I would say it, it gives you a very interesting perspective uh, on the world. Um, you go and you live in a foreign country for for a couple of years. It, it's it's not just a visit and you leave. It's you you go there, you get to know some of the locals, you kind of absorb the culture, and it gives you kind of an appreciation of things from other points of view. Uh, and also, you get to go. Uh, do all kinds of interesting things you see sort of like I can remember uh, when I was stationed in Germany I was driving to work and I drove through a town that had a sign up and they were celebrating the town the little village of about I don't know 40 or 50 houses was celebrating its 800th anniversary oh wow and so you just look at that and you're like holy cow just sort of a you know and and the U.S. is 200 and Uh change or so and you're like holy cow it just kind of gives you this sense of perspective on how other parts of the world view things um you deploy to and like Turkey and Saudi Arabia, very different cultures, uh, very different perspective on things, very different approach to life. Uh, and so it gave me kind of a, it helped me really see uh, the world from a different perspective. And then interesting enough, uh, it's, I had never really lived or really known anybody from the East Coast or the West Coast. So through my Air Force career, I, I lived in LA for several years. I lived in Boston for about seven years. And so I lived in the South, uh, Mississippi and uh, Louisiana, Alabama. And so it really is almost like all corners of the U.S. where you're kind of, I'm kind of like, well, from Illinois, but uh, L.A., Boston, and the South. And so it really gave me a perspective also on just the U.S., how different the personalities are, the, the cultures, the approach to life. Uh, and so, I mean, I like it. It's just, it's just a fascinating thing to be able to go out and kind of see all the world and then... Uh, it also gave me, not just to see it, but also it gave me an interest in what happens in a lot of those other parts of the world. So I'm a, I'm a real big fan of keeping up on uh, national security matters, what's going on in, say, Syria or Iraq or Iran, Afghanistan. I get a lot of questions from the cadets or a lot of times about, hey, what's going on here sure. and what's going on here? And so it's just one of my passions to keep up on that because I can say, you know, I've been there or I've flown over this. And so uh, that kind of that interest for those things and traveling there has given me kind of a continued lifelong interest in what's going on in those places. Plus, with your passion for military history, that fed into that as well. It definitely ties together, definitely. So you certainly got to experience uh, people and cultures uh, that were much different than who you saw in the mirror every morning. Absolutely. Which is a, which is a game changer for folks. Absolutely. Very, very interesting and very eye-opening, too. <laughs> So I want to want to double back a little bit. We talked about some of those those big highlights uh, for the unit itself in terms of national champions. What's been some of the other accomplishments that the units achieved? Maybe not at the national level, but um, some of our local. I know a lot of it is is about how we give back to our community and how we we compete and interact with a lot of the units around here. Talk a bit about that, if you would. Um, certainly, uh, I would say. One of the other big things we do is uh, the mission of the Air Force Junior ROTC is to build citizens of character. Um, Part of that is obviously the leadership role that we teach the cadets, but another part is uh, through various service or community service activities. Um, I can tell you last year we did a little over 2,000 hours of community service from our cadets, which is a tremendous number. Um, This year we're well over 1,000 hours of community service. And we're still kind of, you know, we've been here only three or four, only about four years now. And so we're still kind of establishing what uh, community service activities kind of fit with the core. But, for example, we do Northern Illinois Food, Northern Illinois Food Bank is one. Uh, Feed My Starving Children has become quite a, a popular one. We just got back two weeks ago. Uh, we sent uh, 90 kids up to Feed My Starving Children. So Sergeant Hellinger and myself and, 
88 cadets went up there and we were packing food and that and so it's a great experience oh absolutely and and the kids come back and they're just buzzing about it and and so that's part of that perspective too because they talk about at, at this particular charity what i really liked is they talk about well we're built we're we're putting food together for people from uh from ghana and haiti and from uh, Burkina Faso. And so you get back to the classroom and you talk not only about the community service activities, but like, where is this country? You know, why why are we sending this food here? I mean, what kind of challenges do they face? And kind of gives them, again, that sort of emphasize to the to the cadets, sort of their, their place in the world. Where do they fit in the world? You to see beyond they? Aurora. No, oh, absolutely. And, and a lot of the kids, I mean, in high school, Oh, teens in general are fairly self-centered and they're just kind of <laughs> they're just kind of getting to that age where they're like hey wait a minute there's something besides myself that exists and so I like to be one of those people that helps them do that and so we kind of try to push their vision out a little beyond just themselves or what's going on the next class or the next hour and like look let's look at you know what's happening in Haiti and what's happening uh, over here in in Djibouti or where Ghana or wherever they're making the food for and so so you get to serve but you also kind of have that educational piece to it as right. well. You know, the, the Jay Ratti program is, is probably not for everybody. You talked a little bit about some of the rigors and some of the expectations uh, that you have of, of the cadets. Um, the other requirement is, is that if I still remember correctly, they have to wear the uniform at least once a week. And that, you know, especially at high school, that that's, makes them stand out a little bit, and they don't get to blend in with, with their friends and buddies. But, it's, you know, and it, uh, I think it's, a, you know, once once they know that that's a source of pride and not oh my gosh, I gotta, I gotta wear this and are people gonna talk about me? Yeah, you're gonna talk about me, but I'm, I'm in a leadership, I'm in a character building, I, I do all of these things, I'm able to do these things as a result of. Sure. Um, and the Air Force, the requirements of the Air Force is, uh, as a cadet, you have to wear the uniform one time per week. Um, it is a, it's a very important teaching tool for us. Uh, it teaches you responsibility, attention to detail, uh, discipline. You have to remember, you know, it's a graded event as well. So you have to remember, hey, I got to get all my, my rank in a certain spot, my ribbons in a certain spot. There's uniform inspections. And so uh, it's a very important teaching tool uh, and also a learning event. Um, for instance, how many, how many students this age have really ironed a shirt before? Yeah. Or tied a tie? Uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of guys that have to go on Google or on YouTube to figure out how to tie a tie uh, or shine shoes. And so those are some of the the kind of the life skills that kind of come with wearing the uniform. And, and every student reacts a little bit differently to it. Some people take to the uniform like, hey, this is the great, I just love it, I'm so proud. Some people are very reluctant to wear it. Um, and that's one of the challenges we faced starting a new unit is nobody really had worn the uniform before. And so they're kind of like, well, what's gonna happen when I wear this uniform into class? And, and so uh, it's, you you know you've you know the unit is doing well when the students they want to wear the uniform they're like no 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 I want to wear it, I want to wear it. and so uh, and they start to take real pride in it and you can see that shift in the people and it turns out that and after a while the older students are encouraging the younger students to wear the uniform in other words it's not the instructor saying you have to wear it it's the students who take ownership of the program saying no let wear it but the other teachers and I and I, I harped on this with the kids a lot is. The other teachers, other people really appreciate that when you wear it. Uh, and so you're really looked upon favorably and, you know, wear it with pride. And I think the, the program has transcended just the high school building itself where our community has developed a lot of pride in the unit. And, and you know, as the, the mayor just talked about in the uh, State of the City address uh, last week, 
the color guard were, was able to come out and present the colors. It was a very proud moment to be able to, to talk about their accomplishments, but on a big stage to be able to say, uh, this is representative of the city of Aurora, the second largest city in the state of Illinois. And then you hear from a variety of other community groups around the state that are asking for our uh, membership of our unit to represent in, in various events. And I think that's just a source of pride where, uh, that we're being asked to participate uh, because we've reached a certain level of, of engagement in our community. And, and, and I agree, and that's, that's something that um, Junior ROTC in general tries to do. You, you're definitely part of the community, the cadets and the students come from the community, and, and I like to say too that I, I can only work with the cadets I get. So uh, it speaks to the quality of the cadets and, and that as well. And so uh, we, we go out in the community, and again, citizens of character, you know, a citizen, you're a citizen of your community, so you wanna be out in your community. Uh, we do, uh, Color Guard is one of the high visibility things we do along with the community service. And we've done Color Guard events for uh, the Howie naming ceremony for Chris Patterson a couple years ago. Uh, we've done them for a couple for the mayor. There's a, a couple of business groups around town. Uh, there's uh, dedications that we've done. And so there's, a, we've actually went up the, uh, the, the King County Cougars one time right. a couple of times. That was, that was a lot of fun. Uh, and so you get out into the community and then also through the community service activities as well that I talked about. Uh, and word gets around. And, and the cadets, they get a big thrill too out of it when they go out into the community and people say thank you. And it, it's kind of a, kind of a, sometimes it's an eye-opening moment for them when they realize that, wow, there's people that actually notice us and we actually impact people's lives. And, and you represent more than yourself. And, and, that's, and that's exactly right. And then also, when you go back to rep, talking about, the, circle back to the uniform for a second, that's one of the things when I talk to them, is like when you put the uniform on, you're joining a, a whole uh, bunch of people back 200 years ago who've been wearing that uniform, or for the Air Force specifically back to 1947. And so you're, you're part of a unit or part of something greater than just yourself. Absolutely. So you, you hit a, a poignant piece where talked about the origins, not only of the Air Force, but of our of Jay Rossi, where we were four years ago. And current day, we're roughly 183 cadets, plus or minus. We have uh, you as senior instructor and, and uh, Sergeant uh, Helliger. Um, what do you see us going from here? Uh, well, it's a couple of things. Um, we are actively recruiting, obviously, a third instructor. If we, uh, when we get another instructor in who, who we think would be a good fit, uh, we look at growing the unit more. Uh, we're, like I said, we're capped at 180 cadets. Uh, with another instructor, we can add another 50 or 60 cadets. And so with that third instructor, we can also add a lot more activities to become involved in, uh, which we're looking at. There's, there's a whole possible, there are a whole bunch of possibilities there uh, as far as fitness competitions and Raider teams, and we can add to our, kind of beef up our community service and add a bunch of other things that we want to do uh, that I'd like to do when I get that third instructor. Uh, and so I see that that happening, and then also we're continuing to sort of establish our, our our own traditions. You know, what do we traditionally support? Where do we go? What do we do? Uh, so there's sort of a lot of internal things that we are also kind of getting settled over these couple of years. You know, how do you wear a uniform? Where do you wear the uniform? The drill team is obviously setting up its kind of its traditions as well. Sure. Uh, and so we have, for instance, we have a cyber patriot team, and a cyber patriot team. We actually have three teams. Uh, and it's an online cyber uh, cyber defense network activity or competition against other schools. And so we're just getting that team really up and running. This year we had three teams. 
uh, three different teams enter the competitions. We were uh, first in our division, the state of Illinois, for one of the one of the teams wow. was, and we went up and competed at, at at nationals. And like that's that's another example of things that are just kind of getting off the ground. We're just getting established. A couple of years ago, I couldn't start the program. Just there wasn't any interest there. But really, it wasn't necessarily interest. It was just people didn't know about it. And so it takes a while to kind of get people up to speed on the knowledge. And once they know about it, they're like, hey, wait, that's pretty cool. And so they kind of buy into it. Uh, and so those are some of the things that we're setting up. We're sort of expanding out the number of, of the different types of things we do. And also, um, we're also raising the bar on how well we do them. So the future is bright. Oh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. So I know, you know the high school has open houses. You know, we have opportunities to be able to um, encourage kids and families as they come through. I know you've got cadets that are stationed at tables. You have cadets go into the middle schools as, as a recruiting tool. So if you have a set of families, whatever, wherever you might capture them, and you were to be able to, you had 30 seconds to make your elevator pitch about why Air Force J. Rotsy, what would that sound like? I would, I would say this. I would say uh, Junior RTC is like no other class you'll take in high school. Uh, it's very unique. We will build your leadership skills. Uh, we will give you opportunities to practice those. We'll build your life skills. Uh, and oh, by the way, we'll make you uh, really stand out. Um, and Junior ROTC itself carries a great reputation when you're going out to apply for a job, when you're going out to apply for colleges. Uh, when you're just going out into the world, you're like, oh yeah, I did this. Uh, and I'm, oh, by the way, I'm in Junior ROTC. Um, some of the jobs you get in Junior ROTC are, I mean, you're planning and running events. And we, we tell kids, put those on your resumes. You know, I, I issued the uniforms for 180 cadets and I tracked them in a, in a database. I mean, who, who else can say that? I mean, that's a tremendous uh, competitive advantage the kids have when they go out to apply for jobs or colleges or whatever it is. And so you learn not only that, but you also form really tight friendships because over time, uh, a lot of the friends end up being in ROTC. Uh, they develop some really close, lifelong friendships. Uh, and so I, I find that very rewarding too. So all that kind of comes together. And I think our junior ROTC is a very unique opportunity. Uh, and it's, I mean, I, I can't see why you wouldn't do it. I wished I had it at my school when I was in high school. Lieutenant Colonel Eric Pettyjohn, thank you very, very much. We are honored to have you in West Roar School District. And uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, incredible story. Uh, you've taken our unit to, to new heights, uh, developed uh, tons of character and leadership in our, in our student body, and we're proud to have you a part of uh, what we can offer here in District 129. So thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you very much, Dr. Craig. I appreciate it. What thank a great you. conversation. Thank you. Um, I just want to remind people that you can find us wherever you get your podcasts, including iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and the, uh, the TuneIn radio app. And, and would certainly encourage folks as you listen, this is our third one uh, if you're a member of Assistant Principal Ron Murphy, our school board president, Mr. Bob Gonzalez, and now Lieutenant Colonel uh, Pettyjohn, I would encourage you to subscribe to our broadcast. And, and please, if you would, give us some feedback. There's an opportunity to tell us how we're doing, what you like, what you don't like, so that we can, we can improve our broadcast and our conversations uh, each time. So thank you again, and I appreciate your time for listening today. <laughs>